Go ahead and grab out your Bible and something to take some notes with as we study God's Word. One more uh, episode, one more sermon in this Summer at Victory series. Uh, Excited to bring it to you. It's kind of tied to last week, but it stands alone. And that is this idea that we have a purpose God has given us. told you last week, we are born on purpose and for a purpose that God has something for us. And I will die on that hill. Every Christian has a calling of God on their life. We are called to make a difference for the kingdom of God. No ego, no pride in this. But God has called us to make a difference in the world around us. And so as we study today, I want to kind of flesh out that idea that we have a purpose. Because it's easy to hear a sermon like that. It's easy to kind of like enjoy this idea of, yes, I have purpose. Yes, God has given me a calling. Yes, there are things I should do. We enjoy that idea, a Bible story, a calling from God, whatever it is. And then throughout the week, from whatever happened between last sermon and this moment right now, A million different things crop up that try to tell us why we can't do whatever it was. We were so enthusiastic about leaving church last week. Why it is we can't do this. God, I would love to serve you in this area, but... God, I'd love to use my talents and giftings you put inside of me. I know I could reach people, but... God, I'd love to lead that group. I'd love to impact those people. I'd love to do those things, but... And I want you to see today that not only does it, it's not that it keeps us from doing fun things or from not connecting with others. But I want you to see today our excuses actually keep us from living the life God has called us to live. That the excuses we have internalized and that we bring up in every situation are actually keeping us from doing what God has called us to do. So turn in your Bibles. We're going to be in Exodus today. uh, And I'll get to the story in just a moment. But this is honestly a bedrock in my own faith. It's a story I return to often. Uh, And if you've been here at Victory for any amount of time, you know that we love to study the story of the children of Israel. Coming from slavery in Egypt all the way to freedom in the promised land. How it's an Old Testament kind of shadow story. Kind of picturing what Christ has done in our lives. Born as slaves to sin. And then set free and forgiven because of the sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus on the cross. We're able to study those things. And so today we're going to study this guy who's a legend in the faith by the name of Moses. We're going to see where he had some massive insecurities when God called him to make a difference. So grab out your Bibles. If you want to fill in the blank version of the notes, you want to write down what I want you to write down. Go ahead and pull the Victory Church app. All of the verses, everything we'll cover is in there as well. So you rewind the story. We're back in Exodus chapter 3. So we're going to get to the place where God calls him. But Exodus chapter 3, Moses is born. And he's born into this, this situation of intense slavery in his people. They're slaves in Egypt. They're working for Pharaoh and the Egyptians. He's growing up in captivity. He's, he's in, or they're growing in captivity. And they're growing in number. And so Moses is born into this moment when Pharaoh decides there's too many of the Israelites. There's too many. They're kind of scaring us. And so we're going to have some population management. The way he does that is he kills all of the Hebrew boys. And so Moses' mother has to put him, right, you know the story, put him in a basket, sail him down the river Nile. Wouldn't you know it, Pharaoh's daughter finds him and raises him in the palace. Which if you're not reading humor in your Bible, you're not reading it right. All right, everybody? I just want to make that point clear. Because the devil's like, we want to get rid of the next deliverer. But he doesn't know who it is. He knows that deliverance is coming, but he doesn't know how. And so he's like, we're going to just kill all of the babies. Because remember, we give the devil, I think, a little too much credit. Because he's not omniscient, he's not omnipresent. And so he's trying to think, how can we kill all of the deliverers? And how can we just kill all of the babies? And God's like, okay, you want to kill the deliverer? How about we just let you foot the food and bill and lodging and student loans for the deliverer? Come on, somebody. Like, let's just, let's just raise him in the palace. You can just pay for it all. And so he's raised in Pharaoh's house. Moses is raised up. As he gets older, 
he starts to want to connect with his people, the Hebrews. He wants to help them. And so he's about 40 years old and he gets out of the palace. He leaves where he's been raised and he's out wandering, trying to observe his people. And he comes across a Hebrew and an Egyptian. And the Egyptian is misusing and abusing the Hebrew. And Moses sees this and he knows something isn't right. And something rises up on the inside of him. But you'll see Moses has this like intense anger management issue. Because he goes from like no conflict in his life to murderer in like just one step. Hello everybody. He's just, it's not like he gossips about this guy. It's not like he gets in a fist fight. No, he kills this dude. He just, he kills him, buries him in the sand and thinks nobody knows. But they have CSI back then. I don't know. They have NCIS folks. And so they come out and do like the fingerprint stuff. And they're like looking and they're like Moses. Gotcha. And so he has to flee for his life. So here's Moses. He's just left the palace. He has this idea of helping his people. He's going to be the deliverer. He's going to do all these things. And now he is fleeing for his life out in the desert. A murderer wanted. All dreams lost behind him. And so here's where we pick up the story. Because now we're about 40 years later. Moses is about 80 years old in Exodus 3. He's got a family, he's got a wife and kids, he's got a father-in-law he's working for, so he's a shepherd. And he's out with the sheep one day, and all of a sudden, while he's out with these sheep, he sees a bush on fire. Because God knows all men are pyromaniacs at heart. Come on, somebody. Like, we just, it's just what we like to do. We like to set things on fire and watch them burn. It's just what, in fact, when they announced the burn ban back on Monday, Tuesday, right, across the state of Louisiana, I guarantee all of us were like, I have to go set something on fire right now. Like I heard they have a burn, and I'm like, I wasn't even thinking about it, but maybe there's something I forgot to set on fire. Like there's something I need to do by the end of this. Because we just love to set things on fire and watch it. Coincidentally, ladies, if you want a guy to check you out, light a dumpster on fire and stand next to it. I'm just giving, I'll give you advice. That's free today, everybody. You want to do it? He'll be like, what's, what's going on over here? Like what's what we got? So Moses sees this bush. I love how it, how this verse words it. Because the Bible says, watch this. It says, when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look. One translation says, when the Lord saw that he had gotten Moses' attention with the fire. And I just wonder, hey, when I read stories like this, I wonder, in the mundane rut of life, in my own life, when my eyes are so set on my own selfish things, and the things that I want, and the things that I'm doing, what God has to set on fire to get my attention. I wonder, because sometimes we get locked in a rut. We get so focused on what I need to do and what I need to check off my list. And I wonder what God has to do to bring someone. Because he wants to speak something to Moses' life. He wants to tell him something. He wants to give him a vision and a goal and a purpose in his life. And so he sets this thing on fire. And then he calls to him from the bush. And it sounds like this, Moses. Because we've all seen the movies, right? That's what God sounds like. That's what the voice of God, Moses. Because Hollywood would know what God sounds like. And so he says, Moses, Moses. And Moses replied, here am I. So Moses is at this burning bush that's not being consumed. And he says, here am I. Do not come any closer, the Lord said. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. And watch this. He gives him the call. And he tells him, go, for I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. So here's Moses. He's got this God moment. God has spoken to him. God tells him, this is what I want you to do with your life. He's saying, Moses, I haven't given up on you. Remember, Moses is 80 years old. It's 40 years since he had that idea of being the deliverer. And God comes to him and is like, Moses, I haven't given up on you. Here's the calling I have for your life. And this is incredible to me. 
Because we believe here at Victory, we embrace this idea that you, it's never too late to be who you could have been. That God is the God of second chances. The God of third chances. The God of 15 chances. I think it's incredible that God is coming to him. God is the one who restores what is broken. That God can still use you in your life no matter what your past looks like. And so he comes to Moses. He's like, Moses, this is what I'm calling you to do. Moses, you're going to be what you always dreamed of being. Now, in my holy imagination, and you can throw all of this out already. In my holy imagination, there are parts of the stories in the Old Testament and the New that we don't get all of the information. And so I like to put myself in the story and just imagine certain things, not theological things, just certain circumstantial things that help me understand how this story might have gone. And so this is one of the moments that I just, I try to think about what might have happened. Because what I want to, what shocks me is what happens when Moses goes home that day. Because Moses has this moment. God gives him this purpose and this calling and this thing. But then Moses has to go home that day and be like, hey baby, I think the Lord's calling me to a new job. Like, I think, I think that I'm called. You remember that, like, life I had before we got married? You remember I told you about that? I killed that dude and I had to run. It didn't go so well the first time. You remember all that? I think the Lord is calling me back to save my people. And then you put yourself in his wife's shoes because she's going to respond. You know, Mo, I always loved you. You're a great guy. Love people. Got a big heart for people. Let me just get some things straight first. Anybody ever told their spouse something and they want more details? And you're like, oh, no, <laughs> this is not going to go well. And she's like, okay, Moses, I understand. I think it's amazing. You want to help your people. And I want, but aren't you, you did murder that guy, right? Like that is true. You did kill him. Yeah, yeah, I killed him. And so Pharaoh wants to kill you, right? Put you in jail. Yeah, yeah, that's all true. It didn't go very well the first time, my whole deliverance thing. Okay, okay, just getting it said. So, but God, you, you're going to go back. You're going to speak to him and tell him to set the whole labor force free. That's what you're going to do, right? Yeah, that's what God has called me. Okay, I understand. And the Lord told you to do this. How did the Lord tell you to do this? Okay, so you see, there was a bush. And I was with the sheep, and I saw a bush, and it was on fire. And you know how I like fire, right? You understand? So I had to go check it out, and I had to go see this bush. But it wasn't burning, but it was burning. It was a non-burning, burning, non-burning bush. And then God spoke to me from the bush. And I think it was the Lord. I think because the bush, the bush told me to go. And I think it was the Lord. And so I think the bush was God. And so I think I'm going to go. All you wives would be like, Moses, did you smoke the bush? Like, is that what happened to this? <laughs> like, I need a, I don't know if you've, I need a timeline, Moses. Like, everything you did. Like, you want to go back to a place where they hate you. You are wanted as a murderer. They're going to put you in jail or kill you and save people who hate you. You want to go back to that? I need a timeline everywhere from wherever you started to when the plant started to talk to you. Like, I need, I need more. And Moses is like... I can't imagine what that... So, But I'm going to back us up. Because at this moment, when God is telling Moses, Moses has a conversation with the Lord. Before he ever gets to where he has to explain it to his wife. Moses has a conversation with God. And because God has a sense of humor, Moses is like now arguing with the bush. You understand? I don't know if you guys just skip over these stories or not. But Moses is like having a conversation with the bush. And he starts to argue with it. And so he's like talking to the bush. And as he argues, we start to see these massive insecurities come out in his life. We start to see these things. And I would just venture a bet that probably all of us struggle with one or two of the insecurities that Moses' voice is in this moment. So God says in verse 10, I want you to go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You got to lead my people. But Moses protested to God. Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? 
Who am I to do these things? So the first excuse Moses gives, and jot it down if you're taking notes, is I'm not valuable. I don't have value. I want you to watch this. Because see, what happens is Moses made a mistake in his life. He's a murderer. Moses remembers this clearly. When he last left this land, God is calling him back to. He murdered someone and then fled for his life. And so now his perspective is not when God comes to him like, it's about time, God. Like, I am the deliverer. been waiting out here for 40 years. It's about time you got to me. I'm ready to go and do what you... I, I've been counting the days, God, until you would come. And I, that's not his perspective. See, Moses' perspective is not what the potential God has for him. He's just basing it all on the mistake that he made. And I think too often in our life, we walk through moments where we make mistakes. And in spite of our mistakes, God comes and still chooses to use us. Because none of us are perfect. I don't know if you need that today or not. None of us are perfect. And if you are, this is not the church for you. I just want to go ahead and say that. But God uses us in spite of our mistakes. In spite of, in spite of our shortcomings. And God comes and says, hey, I want you to do something great with your life. I want you to influence people. I want you to be a light to shine for the next year. I want you to do these things. And the reaction we have is to remember not our potential. It's to remember our mistakes. We remember the lies that we told. We remember the cheating and the gossiping. We remember the stealing. We remember the addiction that we were locked in. We remember these things that we wrestled with. And those things that try to say, I'm a nobody. And I fall short and I'm damaged goods. And we let those things become our excuse when God comes to us with a purpose or a calling. Or maybe it's not something that you did. Maybe it was something that was done to you. And maybe you walk through an emotional trauma. Or you were the victim of physical or sexual abuse. And it makes you feel dirty. And it makes you feel broken. It makes you feel like you could never be used, like you don't have any value. And so we say, God, I'm not the person for the job. Well, God says to Moses, like he says to all of us, watch this in verse 12. God answered, I will be with you. I think there's some things we got to settle in our hearts because it seems like a simple statement. But I want you to really grasp the gravity of that promise. That when we say, God, I'm not valuable. That we would say then in our hearts, we would understand the truth of God's word. And jot it down if you're taking notes, God will be with me. God is with me. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians that you're now the temple of God. That the Holy Spirit now dwells in the midst. That the Holy Spirit is who dwells inside of you. Think about it this way. I just to kind of get, because I think as New Testament Christians, sometimes we miss the gravity of it. That God is with us. And we kind of put that aside or we put it on our fridge and we forget all about the actual gravity. Think about it this way, if you would. There are a few people here today. Few people may be a part of our church that are just world class. Like you have like everything down. You understand what serving means. You've got the light of the gospel. You are spreading and working and doing. You love people with all of your There are a few people that you would say, yeah, I would give my life for somebody that I love. I would lay it down. I'd be the one to take the bullet. I would step in front of the train. There are a few in our church who would say, yeah, I would give up my life for somebody that I love. But maybe there are only a few in thousands We've got to take it a step further. A few in thousands or maybe millions who would say, I would give up my life for somebody who hates me. Yeah, I would lay down my life for somebody who gossiped about you, somebody who backstabbed, somebody who was trying to get you or your family, somebody who was, even after you gave up your life for them, would still talk about you and still try to hurt you in your legacy. Somebody, there were maybe a few people in millions that would say, yeah, I would die in that person's place. But I am willing to bet that there are zero people here today, who would let their child die so that their enemy would live. You know, in serving the church and kind of life of ministry and thing, my wife Alyssa and I, we've, we've given up some things. 
We sacrificed some things, walked away from some relationships, from some opportunities. And we're happy to do it. I'm not trying to make you feel sorry for it. It's what we're called to do. We're called to reach the lost with the gospel. And so we've given up some things. We've sacrificed. And I, again, I'm happy to do it because it's what I am called to do. But just hear me clearly. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings today, everybody. If, it ever, if God ever gives me the choice, it comes down to the life of my child or one of you. Praise God. I'll see you on the other side. Come on, somebody. Like, I'm a... <laughs> praise the Lord. I ain't giving up any one of my kids for you. But the Bible says that while we were yet sinners... While we were enemies of the cross, that God the Father did not withhold His only Son in our place. That He looked at us in a fallen state, enemies of the cross. Don't get this twisted and think once we got ourselves perfect, then God could say, no, He looked at us, enemies of the cross, and sent His Son Jesus to die in our place. And we have the audacity then to stand and say, well, I'm not valuable and I have no worth. And God, you got it all wrong. You couldn't possibly love me. And you could And God is looking, are you kidding me? The most valuable thing I had to give my only son that I gave in your place so you could be redeemed. You could be forgiven. And we stand there and have the audacity. We have to remember when we're in that moment thinking I have no worth. That I'm not valued. We remember that God is with me. That he's with me. Verse 13. But Moses protested. I started to call this sermon Moses' big butt. But I didn't think you guys would stay with me. But Moses, Moses protested. If I go to the people of Israel, God's already told I'm with you. He's like, but if I go, it's great you're with me, God. That's all good. But if I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what's his name? And what should I tell them? And then watch in verse in chapter four, he protested again. What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? What's he saying? John had never taken notes. He's saying I'm not accepted. It's great you like me, God. That's fantastic. And some of you are like, I can settle that in my heart that the Lord loves me. But people aren't going to accept me. I'm not accepted. Maybe you think I'm valuable, God, but people don't like me. You know where that came from in Moses' life? That came from the day after he killed the Egyptian. Because the day after he killed the Egyptian, when he goes back out, still with this idea he's going to be the deliverer, he finds two Hebrews fighting each other. And he's like, like, tries to jump in the middle of it. He's like, hey, hey, guys, like, we shouldn't be fighting each other. We got to fight the, the Egyptians. Like, we got to do this. You shouldn't. We shouldn't war. And they look at him. These two guys, they look at him and they're like, who are you to be a judge? We don't want anything to do with you. You're not our deliverer. You're not our judge. In fact, you might kill us like you killed the Egyptian. We don't want anything to do with you. We don't want you as a leader. Now, because of that moment, now when God Almighty comes to speak to Moses, that's the voice that's speaking in his head. The only interaction he has that says, they won't accept me. They won't, they won't accept You might like me, God, but I know what they think is the voice of these two ringing in his head. The destiny of thousands is hanging in the balance because of the voice of two people in Moses' head from 40 years ago. And so he's talking before God. And, he's, and see, all of us have walked through things. You understand this. I, I try to get this point across sometimes. All of us have things that we've gone through. All of us have had the voice of a parent or a sibling or a coworker or a friend that you thought was a friend speaking to your life, voice of death and of criticism. And if you're not going to measure up, all of us have had that moment that you've walked through. And so here's my question for you. When God comes to you and says, hey, I have purpose for your life. When you're reading in his word and you see, hey, this is what I'm called to do. Or when you feel this, this idea, I'm called to reach, or I'm called to step out. Or you have this moment whose voice is ringing the loudest in your head. Is it the voice of God or is it the voice of they? 
They're not going to accept me. They're not going to like me. They're not going to let me do. They're, they're not going to. And listen to me. That voice is never the people that you're actually called to reach. That God has called you to impact. But what we do is we take that one painful moment, that one painful voice, and we spread it out in every relationship in our life. And we let it impact and we let it poison every other interaction we have. And so when the time comes to actually step into what God has called you to do, we let the voice of they ring louder than the voice of God. And so Moses has this voice ringing in his head, this idea, this voice of they, they're not going to accept me. They're not going to like me. God, you might think I'm valuable, but they, 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 and it's just one or two people that honestly have no impact on your destiny anyway. So God said, look, I know you're struggling with this whole idea of being accepted. Moses, I want you to know this, that I'm sending you. Watch what he says. He says, I tell the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me to you. We got to settle in our hearts that above all of that pain that we have experienced, God has sent me. And I begin to think, well, God, I'm not valuable, but God is with me. I begin to think, well, God, they won't accept me, but God has sent me. When God gives you a purpose and a calling in your life, all the other voices of they fall to the wayside. We got to understand God has sent me, that I was born on purpose and for a purpose. I'm not going to let a couple of people in my past who spoke negative things about me keep me from what God has called me to do. That you got to walk through these things. That you can see the potential God has on your life to make a difference for the kingdom. In fact, the Bible says in verse 26 of Acts, watch this, that from one man he made all the nations. That they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out, watch this there, appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. That God knows when he made you, why he made you, and where he made you. That God has a purpose for your life where he placed you. That too often times we think, well, if I was just over there, or if I could just do that, or if so-and-so from the Bible just lived at my time, what a different... No, God chose when he made you. He chose who he called you to reach, and he has placed you where he wants you to make a difference for the kingdom. And we got to get our eyes off all those things. I've said it before, Paul is dead. Moses and Joshua, all the heroes from the Bible are dead. They are gone. God chose us for this moment. I don't know why, but he did. And all of us are called to make a difference at the time God has called us to make. But we believe the lie that I'm not accepted. And we're paralyzed in our calling. But God says, I have sent you. Back to our text, verse 10. But Moses pleaded with the Lord. It's me getting tired of Moses here, right? He's saying, but Moses pleaded, oh Lord, I'm not very good with, I'm not a good speaker. I never have been and I'm not now, even though you've spoken to me. So even though God, you think I'm valuable. That's great, God. I like that. Even though, God, you think maybe people would accept me. That's fantastic. But you didn't build me to the right specifications. I love this idea of what I should do, God. It's amazing. But you didn't build me. I don't have the right talent. I don't have the right abilities, God. You messed up when you made me. How many would have the audacity to say that to God? Like, it was in the, they're just like, you messed But all of us, none of us have said this. All of us have thought it. God, you called me to do this, but you didn't, you didn't gift me right. God, you called me to do these things, but you didn't give me the right time. I'm not the right one for the job. But here's the thing. We allow pain to come into our life and send us wandering through the desert. Send us away from the calling God has and away from the people that we're called to reach. And then when God comes with this purpose that we have, we forget who we are. Because I want you to see this verse. Interesting verse also in Acts. Acts chapter 7. And he says this in verse 22. Moses, this is Stephen speaking. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. He grew up in Pharaoh's house and was powerful in speech and action. 
You ever read that? Like Moses standing before God, I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. And yet when he was in Pharaoh's house, even to say powerful in speech, that word there in the Greek, that word means powerful in speech. It means exceptionally gifted in. It means exceptionally. So how did he get from being exceptionally gifted to wandering the backside of the desert telling God, not only am I not a good speaker, I never was. Not only am I not ready for this, I never, you, you got the wrong guy. I never had the gift. Because it happens to so many of us. We believe the lie of the devil, the voice in our head, and we become disconnected from our purpose. We get separated from the calling of God. We forget the talents and abilities God buried deep inside us, the treasures he's placed. And we believe the lie, I'll never be good at this. I never was good at this. God, you got the wrong person. And we let that voice speak. Well, God says in verse 12, Moses, listen, it's going to be okay. I will be with you, right? And I will teach you what to say. I want you to know at Victory, we believe in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Bible calls him our teacher, that that is one of his roles in our life, to teach us what it is we need to know. Because listen to me, you've got to settle in your mind that you will have moments in your life you do have no idea what to do. Yeah, go ahead and just settle that ahead of time, alright? I've met people who haven't settled it. It's a long road you've got to get through. But there is going to be so many moments in your life that you're not going to know what to do. And the Bible promises that in those moments, that's the role of the Holy Spirit, to teach us and remind us of his word. And what we should do in our lives and the people to give us promptings to see who we should reach and how we should live. That he's in our life for that. There are so many days, I cannot tell you, honestly, I would say 100% of my life, every day, I pray some form of Holy Spirit. I have no idea what to do with this situation. I don't know how to respond to this person. I don't know how to deal with this conflict. I don't know how to walk through this crisis. I had no clue what I should be doing. In John chapter 13, Jesus said it this way. Watch, he said, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, with the Father will send, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. I don't know if you've ever been in a moment and you just have to pray, Lord, I don't know what to do. And listen to me, God never looks down at that moment. The Father's never like, really, again? Like, I talked to you. Didn't we have this conversation yesterday? Like, didn't we have this? Like, this, this, God never looks down and is like, you don't, again, you don't know what to, you are bad at this. Like, we're just going to, you are fired from any other purpose I have for your life. Like, you are just disqualified from being a human. No, God actually looks down and delights in those moments. When we are at our weakest point, when we don't know what to do. Paul said, I'm not going to stop hiding all the things I'm embarrassed of because Christ's power is shown strongest in my weakest moment. In my weakness, Christ's power shows best. That's when God's power is when I am weak, he is strong. And so I'm going to stop being embarrassed of all the areas I feel like I am weak because it's not my power that gets it done anyway. And the Holy Spirit inside of us. So we surrender to him. And Ephesians chapter 3 says, because of that power inside of us, because of the power that dwells inside of us, now God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could possibly ask, think, or imagine. Because of his power, not because of anything in us. So we got to surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit, but it still wasn't enough for Moses. Watch this in verse 13. But Moses pleaded again, Lord, please send anybody else. Some of you are like, that's my motto for life. Like, that's just my, I'm pretty sure I said that twice this week. I just, I don't remember what the context was, but I'm pretty like, Lord, anybody else you want to pick would be just fine by me. What he's actually saying is, God, I'm not comparable. God, you got lots of other people. You got lots of other children of Israel. And in our lives, we say, God, you got lots of other Christians. Send anybody else. I gave you all my reasons, but I'm just down. There are other people who are better than me. There are people more talented than me. There are people who are richer than me. People who are taller than I am. People who are better than I am. 
And this creeps into our lives, honestly, more so than any other generation before us. Because we have this idea, God, I'm not comparable. Because we stare at our cell phones and we look at Instagram and we stare and scroll for hours through Facebook. And we see all of these things. And we look at Instagram and the devil tells us you're not good enough. That maybe, maybe God accepts you and maybe he's called you and maybe all these things are true and the Holy Spirit will teach you. But if you look at all the other Christians around you, they're all just better than you are. And we let it sink into our lives. We stare at it long enough. You're not tall enough and you're not rich enough and you're not pretty enough or you're not, you're not whatever it is enough or you just don't know the right filter to knock 25 years off your life. And they're posting like, feeling great today. That ain't even you. Come on, somebody. Like you just figured out how to stage the Bible and the beach and all of that. That's not even you. But we look at that garbage and we think, God, in light of that, how could I possibly be good enough? And we let those things seep into our lives. We say, compared to that, how could God ever use me? Why would God ever call me? But you know, the beauty of the call of God in Matthew, Jesus tells a story about a landowner who represents the father. And he says that he gave, he gave his servants five talents and one servant, two talents and one servant, one talent. And when he returns, he asks them what they did. And they come before him and present what they did with the talents that he gave him. Listen to me, what he doesn't do is go to two-talent guy and ask him, hey, five-talent guy picked up five talents, where's yours? What he doesn't do is go to two-talent guy and he's like, you know, five-talent guy over there is way better than you because you're only getting two. And, you know, five-talent guy brought me five and he must be just so much better than you are. That's not what he does. No, he looks at him, each one, and he says, what did you do with what I gave you? And I think this will change your life if you can internalize it. This idea of what did you do with what God gave you? A couple of things I want you to realize. Number one, most of us are not five talent people. I don't know if you ever read that story and been like, well, I must be a five talent. Most of us are not that. Most of us are not even two talent. We are like one talent people. You understand? Like we are, we got the one that God gave us. Praise God for five talent person. Praise God for two. We, we've got what God gave us. And so praise the Lord for a five talent guy who like, Runs marathons and flies fighter jets and makes millions of dollars and married the prom queen and like farts butterflies and everything just works great. <laughs> praise God for five talent guy. We, just, we celebrate just praise God that, that ain't me. Listen to me. Most of us are not five talent. God doesn't give you it all. But he does give you something. And so when we stand before our maker, aren't you excited that one day when we stand before God... It just is what it is that we're not five talent guy. We're not turn our two into four and get our eyes off a five talent guy. Because praise the Lord for five talent guy. Better yet, let's celebrate five talent guy who's making a difference for the king. Let's celebrate five talent girl who has 18 million pregnancies and actually loses weight after all of them. Come on, somebody. That ain't real. That's just praise the Lord. That ain't me. Let's praise God for them. Let's get our eyes off of their talents, though, and get them on our own that God has gifted us with. That he has given you something to make a difference in the world around you. And when we stand before him one day, he's not going to say, hey, what about five talent guy? Bible talks about how we'll heap up what we've done and it's going to pass through the fire. The wood, hay, stubble, but what's gold and refined will come through what is actually worth of value. He's not going to have five talent guy like at the end of the conveyor belt with all his trophies being like, "Woo, I'm better than you. That's not what it's like. No, he's going to look at you and he's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? What would you do with the talent that I gave you? How did you steward what I gave you? Got to get our eyes off the people. Back to our text. At that time, the Bible says, so after this one, Moses like, send somebody else. At that time, the Bible says, the Lord's anger burned against Moses. Aren't you glad you're not God? 
Like you ever had that like realization? Aren't you excited? They're like, you're not. Because I'm thankful I'm not. Because at this point, I've been like, you know what, Moses? You're right. You stink. Like, you're just, you're a bad for this. I'm not, you're just, just, I just killed him and made another one. Like, we just, I'd have been like, I made such a mistake making this guy. Like, we just, I just messed up. What did I, what was I thinking? You're right, Moses. We'll get somebody. If this guy is this hard to hire, how bad is he going to be to manage? Come on, somebody. Like, it's going to be... Some some of you business owners are thinking about somebody on your staff right now. You're just like, yes, this is (laughs) praise God. Praise God. We're not God. So God looks at him and he's like, you know what? Moses? What about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he's got all these gift things you don't think you have. What about Aaron? He's already on his way. I've already been moving him. He's moving in the same direction. What about Aaron's on the way? He'll be glad when he sees you and I'll help you accomplish this purpose to get you. I want you to see this, that our relationships are not about competing with one another. It's not about comparing ourselves to every other Christian in our life. That's not what our relationships are. God never intended for you to compete and to compare with all the other Christians in eternity. But God has called us to link arms together so we could go further, faster in the calling that he has for us. That God's not called us to look at all these other people and think, I just can't be, I'm not comfortable, I'm not ability-wise, I can't measure up. Fine, God has called us to live in community, to link arms so we can accomplish things for the kingdom that we never could alone. That's why it says this, watch in 2 Timothy, he says, pursue righteousness and faith and love and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. When we get to the place saying, God, I'm not comparable, God's promise to us is God will connect me. That God has relationships for your life in order to accomplish the thing he's called you. You were never called to do it alone. That God has relationships for your life, people to help you to be who he's called you to be. Look, I understand we have all made mistakes. Every single one of us are flawed. But we got to come to a place where we settle in our hearts. God is with me. That I'm a follower of Christ. That the Holy Spirit dwells on the inside of me. That he is with me as I walk out. That I won't let the voices of they try to speak into my life. No, God has sent me. That he has a purpose for me. we got to settle these things in our lives. And we think, well, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to react. I don't know how I'm supposed to act in this situation. No, we got to settle. The Holy Spirit will teach me. And then we come to that place where we say, well, I'm alone and there's no way I could do it. No, no, God will connect you. He has relationships with you. And somehow he takes Moses, this insecurity riddled man out on the backside of a desert leading sheep. Somehow he takes him from that moment and uses him to set his people free. From slavery into all the way to the edge of the promised land become one of the heroes of the faith and it helps me with confidence today knowing that God can still use you and God can still use me but we got to come to a place where we settle we're not going to let our excuses stand in the way of the purpose God has for our life bow your heads with me as we pray today I want to pray God would give you confidence not in your own abilities not in your own standing not in your own works but God would give you confidence in the calling he has for you And the strength he gives you to carry it out. I want to pray that God would show us how our excuses fall away in light of who he is and what he's called us to do. That as we start out this semester, as different families have different schedules, as different work jobs have different things, all the things we are called to do. I want us to pray that God would show us clearly, this is what I've called you to. And I've sent you and I'm with you and I'll teach you and I'll connect you. And this is what the calling is on your life. It's time to overcome the excuses. Before we pray that, though, there are some of you here today. 
and you've walked through some of the things that we're talking about. Maybe because of it, maybe because of what you've walked through, or maybe because of what's been done to you, or maybe because of the things that you, whatever it was, it caused you to drive people away, and maybe you've even run from God. What I want you to understand today is number one, it's never too late. That God still has a purpose and a plan for your life. No matter how far you find yourself from him. Maybe you've never surrendered your life to him. Maybe you've run a million miles away from him. doesn't matter. I want you to know today he still loves you and he still wants you. And it's never too late. And so right now, I just want to pray a prayer with you. If you say, hey, I've never surrendered my life. And I love all that you're saying about purpose and calling. But listen to me. It never starts without a relationship with Jesus. Or maybe you say, I've run so far from him, I don't even know where I am. I want you to know God is closer than you could possibly imagine, that he is still waiting for you. And I don't know what you've done, and I don't know how far you've run, but listen to me, he still loves you. He's not looking to get even with you. God's not trying to punish you in this. He's not trying to get even. He loves you, and he wants you. So I don't care what anybody else has ever said. I don't care what the voice of they is trying to say in your mind that you're not valuable or you're not worthful or that God could never love a person like you. He loves you. And he wants you. So we're going to pray a prayer. And it's a prayer of repentance and it's a prayer of surrender. And our church is dedicated. We will pray this prayer with every single person. It is who we are called to be. So I'm not going to make you stand up or come to the front. I'm not going to embarrass you in front of your family. or your friends. That's not what I'm in this for. I'm here to connect you with Jesus. You make a decision. It's between you and your Savior. But I promise you, you make this decision for Christ. I promise you, He is standing by to rescue you. To love you, to make you new. You say, that's me. I want you to pray with us. And all of our church prays. Nobody prays alone. But say these words. Say, Jesus save me I repent of my sins I believe you died on the cross I believe you rose again I make you Lord of my life in Jesus name God I thank you for every person in this church God for the potential in their lives to make an impact for the kingdom a difference in the world around us Father I thank you you are calling us and equipping us and teaching us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you that there is a hurting and broken world on the other side of our obedience to reach. That in this moment, we would settle in our hearts that God is with us. That he has sent us and he has chosen us. He will equip us. It's his power at work, but we are called to obey and to make a difference. So I pray, Lord, as we step out into the mission field, as you bring opportunities, God, show us how you have gifted and called and chosen us to make a difference. And we'll give you all of the glory and all the praise for it. All of the honor because you are so deserving of it. We pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's church said amen and amen. Come on church, can we give God praise for what he's done today?